Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. All right, welcome to Compass. I'm so glad you're here. Happy Mother's Day. I'm Tim Jacobs, one of the members of the preaching team here, lead pastor here at Compass, and it's great to see you. Um, boy, didn't Gabe do a great job last week? Give him a hand for that. He did an awesome job. Now, you may not know this. You may not know this, but he's up here strumming all by himself up here. Part of the reason for that is um, we're going to be relying heavily on the worship team in the next couple of weeks because Gabe is actually having surgery on his shoulder this Friday, which will disable him from playing guitar for the next couple of weeks. So um, he just kind of wanted to get one last bit in there, give the team a break. They'll be up next week in the next few weeks. He'll, he's still going to be around here. Pray, be praying for him. No, he didn't mess up his shoulder because of excessive guitar playing. Um, he messed up his shoulder from excessive uh, go-ruck challenges and just being an animal. So uh, we're going to pray for God's uh, healing for him and everything else really quick. But, but uh, anyway, so just so you know on that, so we're continuing our series on Disconnected, Navigating the Dangers of the Digital Age. We talked a few weeks ago about sex in the digital age, last week about marriage. By the way, if you want to get, um, if you're interested in learning more about that, you can actually go on our, our sermon page. We did a podcast earlier this week. They just called it the Green Room Podcast. We're going to be doing those more and more, just having follow-up discussions about the message because we can't get everything in in the brief time that we have. So we're adding more stuff in and talking about it. It's about a half hour long, me and Gabe just kind of going back and forth. So you can go ahead and listen to that, or you can even watch it if you, if you get a chance to on our website. But today, we're talking about effective parenting in the digital age. And as part of that, we want to be able to resource you um, to be able to help parents um, deal with all of the craziness of the digital age. And so one way we want to do is just come right out of the gate and show you something that's kind of cool that you should check out. Let's check this out. I'm trying to manage my kids and their devices than anything else. Talking to my kids usually looks like this. Grant, 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 but not anymore. Now that I have Circle. Circle is a new way for families to manage content and time online for every device in the home. Pair Circle with your Wi-Fi and manage everything with the app. So what can Circle do, you ask? How about set a time limit on Facebook for my daughter? Circle actually adds up the time she spends on each of her devices and then cuts her off when she's reached her limit. I can also set up a filter with Circle to make sure my boys don't end up on parts of the internet they shouldn't even know about. Just set the filter profile by age, and then it's easy to customize it by app and category. But my personal favorite? I can pause the internet. And did you ever wish your kids' devices had a bedtime? Now they do. Just set a sleep time and an awake time, and just like that, me time. Hello, Netflix. And if I want to know how many hours my youngest spent on Minecraft this week compared to last, Circle makes it easy. wonder how much time I spent on Pinterest. I can also manage Circle from anywhere. Circle will notify me with things like when that Facebook time limit is finally reached. And if it weren't awesome enough already, Circle partnered with these nice folks to make it even, well, more awesome. And now for some much needed family time. Thanks, Circle. Grant. 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 
So the hats off to our youth pastor, Mike Zarati, for um, letting me know about that. And so I texted the link to my wife, and she shot back and said, is this real? And I said, yes, it is real. And in an hour, it was in our home. <laughs> and so we own this now. It is real. You can get it at Target, Best Buy, whatever. And it works. Believe me, it works. And it's been interesting in our home the last couple of days since we bought it. But the, the reality is you should, and it's really funny too, the, the reviews are overwhelmingly positive. The only negative reviews have really bad grammar and say things like, this is stupid, and who would want to get this? It reminds me of the cow on the Chick-fil-A billboards. You know, like eat more chicken kind of a thing. You can tell there's something not quite right here. So we want to resource you with these kinds of things because this is the kind of stuff that's going to help us figure this out because the reality is it's a different world. It's just a different world. Several weeks ago, I was taking my daughter and two of her friends home from church. So I have three junior high girls in my car. And I'm driving home from church, and I'm realizing as I'm going down the road, and I like to be an engaging parent, you know, like an engaging father. I like to talk to people. I don't want to be one of those, like, silent dads that didn't say anything. So I'm like, I should make conversation with these girls. And I realize in the car, the car is completely silent. I'm like, this is weird. I'm like, why? I'm driving the car. Why? There's three junior high girls in the car. There's got to be something wrong. Maybe they're in a fight. You know, maybe there's something else. And I, and I finally, I look back and I realize all three of them are like this. And I'm thinking, that at first I thought, they're not talking. And I realized, oh, they're talking, all right. They're, they're probably talking to each other, too. Like the aliens from that one Twilight Zone episode, they just look at each other and little voices go off in their head, like the telepathy kind of a thing. And it's just the way that it is. And it's bizarre. I'm like, how do you get a word in edgewise when no one's talking? But there are, they are because they're doing it. It's a different world out there. And so the question is, is it possible for us to be effective parents in the digital age when the terrain is so different, as we said several weeks ago, the ground we're covering, the way people interact, the way that they communicate, the whole um, way that we judge value and how we value ourselves, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But if we, in order to answer the question, we have, to all, we have to first ask the question, what do we mean by effective parenting? What does that phrase mean? And to answer that question, I want us to look at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. It's like the fifth book of the Bible. And um, so it's towards the front in the Old Testament, chapter 6, starting with verse 4. And before we read this, one of the things that may give you some comfort if you're kind of wondering, like, what do we do with the quote-unquote kids these days, is to realize that the nation of Israel itself was also in new terrain. They had been in places they had never been before. They were on a journey to, to living in such a way that they had never lived before. And God was trying to give them a, a, a life hack, basically, a way to make things work so their society wouldn't just survive, but it would actually thrive. It would flourish. It would be stronger than every other society. But the way that you do this is very important, and it doesn't matter what era. It doesn't matter the ramifications or the technologies or the circumstances. It matters really kind of the secret sauce of what makes a society function. And so as we read this, we're going to get the answer to our guide for effective parenting, starting with verse 4. This is what it says. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so if I were to define for you what is effective parenting in one simple sentence so you can really get the whole idea of this sermon in one sentence, it would be this. Leading my child to God's truth by both example and engagement throughout the course of his or her life. That effective parenting is really nothing more than leading my child to God's truth both by example and engagement. So showing, displaying, modeling, um, communicating God's truth by example and engagement throughout the course of that child's life. Now what's really important about this definition, because it derives itself directly from the passage, is that it does not say, notice what it, it, it does not say, it does not say produce a child who follows God. That ultimately is something you cannot do. And the reason you cannot do that is because, as Ravi Zacharias says, Jesus came not to make bad people good, but to make dead people live. Now, you can, tell, you can show people the way, but you ultimately cannot raise someone from the dead. That is the work of God, and the Bible says that we are all born spiritually dead. So what's really important about this, you notice right out of the gate when it comes to effective parenting, is that I've got to be concerned about not merely um, outcome, but I've got to be concerned about the process. The outcome is up to God. What, what is up to me is the process. And that should be very comforting to those of us who have children that maybe haven't necessarily walked with God or maybe are not walking with God right now and you're beating yourself up for it. God doesn't command you to produce a healthy or a godly child. God commands you to, uh, to instruct and to lead by example and engagement and to show them as best that you can. So if you think about it, um, the, for, for those of you who say, hey, listen, you know, I did everything I could to show my child um, that everything about God, and I wasn't perfect, but I lived my life as best as I could, and I tried to teach them and everything else, and they still um, ended up rejecting God. Does that mean you're an ineffective parent? No. In the same way that, that there's some children who find Jesus and who turn their lives around, who become amazing people, and their parents were like the worst parents in the world. Does that mean they were effective parents because their child grew up and, and made right decisions and everything else? No, they were still ineffective parents. These people found their way despite the terrible parents. So we have to separate and not put the emphasis on the outcome as much as we do the process. This is another reason why helicopter parenting, as it's called, can be a really dangerous thing. Because we hover over our kids, and people that helicopter, you know, they're the kind of people that, you know, I don't want my kids to play outside, I don't want, I don't want them to eat a potato chip, you know. And it's like all this kind of hovering over the kid to make sure nothing goes wrong. And with a helicopter parent, the concern is so much on outcome that the process becomes um, dictated by the outcome. So the outcome is safety. I want my child to be safe. So then the process becomes all about safety. 
as opposed to the process being about faithfulness, the process being, the process being about building into them a life of understanding who God is. And sometimes that takes pain. Sometimes that takes risk. So we've got to be concerned about the process, and we're not necessarily, we can't control the outcome. And that needs to be said right off the top. By the way, this cuts both ways. Some of us in here are living lives that are very different than the life that our parents would have hoped that we had lived. lived. Some of us are living lives apart from God. And you may be doing that right now because you say, well, I blame my parents. My parents, they did this and they did that and they they didn't show me the way. And here's the deal. The, The challenge is every one of us are free moral agents. Every one of us is gonna stand before God someday and give an account of our own life. And you cannot blame your parents for anything at that point. Sure, they may have set you back, they may have held you back, they may have caused you some pain, but you and I are ultimately responsible for the decisions that we make. So you cannot blame your parents. God will not accept that as an acceptable excuse to say, well, I messed my life up because my parents were so bad. So let's talk about this. To be effective parents, we talked about example and engagement. Let's first of all talk about leading by example. Because right out of the gate, he says, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And these words shall be on your heart. Now, we know that most things in life are not taught as much as they're caught, right? Our kids see much more the uh, actions that we have before necessarily they hear the words that we have. And our problem is, as parents, is we cannot take our children further than we ourselves have gone. Sometimes we expect things out of our kids that we ourselves don't even do. I know for me, um, when I, I'm looking at my kids, and some of the things I get the most upset with them about are things I look at them and go, man, I do that exact same thing. You ever been there? Yeah, I do that exact same thing. But it starts by leading by example. Now, it's important to know that when the Israelites received this, they received it when they lived around all of these tribes who had a multitude of different gods. They would make their own gods um, out of like, you know, wood and stone and all these things. And they worshipped other gods like the sun and the moon and the water and the weather. They deified all of these things. And what you find out really quickly is those things are brutal gods. And they would listen and they'd say, what are these gods telling me? And what tribute do I need to pay to these gods? They become very brutal to them. Because they're, if, they're, if they, these people lose standing with the sun, if they lose standing with the moon, then the sun's going to punish them by wrecking their crops. Or the river's going to punish them by flooding everything and ruining their home. Or there's going to be a disease that's going to infect their children. So they're always worried, what is my standing with these created objects? This is the way the world lived for much of human history. And many millions of people still live this, day, this way today. But the point is these gods are brutal. They demand tribute. And I would say that for our kids, and perhaps for you, the internet is much the same way. What this thing says about me defines who I am. This is the way millions of our teenagers think right now. Or what do you think of a term like cyberbullying? Those of you guys, Gen Xers and above, could you have ever in your life concocted that, mind, or that, that term in your mind, cyberbullying? 
It seems like, how in the world did anyone ever come up with that? Or what about internet shaming? It's really popular right now. Internet shaming. So you're going to go on there, and you're going to take someone with something they've done, and you're just going to slam them, and hundreds of thousands and millions of people will just slam you publicly in front of everyone. My friends, the internet has zero grace. You understand that? Zero grace. This is one of the most brutal gods, small g gods, that has ever come into human existence, especially if you're a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old or 14-year-old. Did you know that you can actually go on social media like Facebook, and I didn't know this, and you can purchase likes. You can purchase friends. Now, a lot of people do this as business builders, and they, if you read, you can read business articles about this. They say even for business people, it's a bad idea. It's unethical, and you'll, it, it, the algorithms, you'll mess them up. But for young kids, they'll do it too to boost their popularity. Why? Because, I, because when you worship a false god, the internet, you are who Instagram tells you you are when you are 13, when you are 18, and some of you when you're 46. That's why we lead by example. Let me ask you. We talk about our kids. Some of you guys, this is the exact same thing. You know, I went to traffic school a few months ago. I think I told you about that. And I learned something really interesting when I was at traffic school. I learned that texting and driving is as distracting as drinking and driving. Now, drinking and driving we know is a moral issue, right? You shouldn't drink and get behind the wheel of a car. You can get severe. You talk about public shaming, man. It years all kinds of penalties. But, but texting and driving is not really, it's, it's, it's still like you shouldn't do it, but it still kind of still lacks that moral component. But when they tell you in traffic school, which I recently, as I mentioned, attended, and they drill it into you, trust me, they drilled into you big time, that this is, and they have like videos of people that are all mangled and messed up and dead and everything else. I mean, they don't have videos of people that are dead because they're dead, but people that killed other people texting and driving. And it's like this horrible thing, right? They're really trying, it's like a scared straight program. But you think about it, you're saying, I want to lead by example. I had a 15-year-old kid in my house, he's going to get his permit in three months, Last thing I ever want him to do is text and drive. But guess what? Most things are caught, not taught. So I had to ask myself, what am I doing? And the bigger question of what, okay, so you shouldn't text and drive. So I went to church today and Tim said you shouldn't text and drive. But here's my question. Why do you text and drive? Why? Why, why, why is it that I frenetically, like, like a crack addict, right? Oh my, I haven't looked at my phone in like three minutes. The light's red, Right? I can stop it. I can, I can check Facebook. I can read my email. I can, I can read it. I can text someone back. Because if I don't text this person back, the whole world could fall apart. Now, why? The question is, why do we do these things? What is it about this that has such a stranglehold on our lives that it makes us frenetic, out-of-control people willing to take a vehicle at 75 miles an hour and not even be able to see what's in front of us because we got this with our little kids watching? And then you're going to go, don't do this. Oh. Why do you do it? What is it? 
Is it, is it because, maybe we call it for what it is, is it because there's something in here that's a small g God that has control over our emotions and we say that we are what this says we are. Now, now put that in stark contrast to what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says because Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, no, 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 the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's not multiple gods, there's one God and what he says about you is what's true about you. What he demands of you is what you should do. His world, his way, his view, that's the view that gives you identity. That's huge. And if we don't understand, because we live under this for so long, we don't understand how powerful this is because we kind of have this so-called, you know, Christian kind of, not so much a Christian nation anymore, but we kind of have this idea that we believe that, you know, we don't go around worshiping idols, but yet we do. We just don't call them idols because they're so ubiquitous. They're around us all the time. We don't realize the power that this thing has over us. And so the question is, my friends, when we talk about parenting, it starts first by this, this question that's so critical, you guys. You got to listen to this. Do, do, is it clear to your children that you love Jesus more than anything else in your life? Would they, if you were to interview them and say, let me, uh, if someone were to interview and say, would you say that your father and mother or mother or whatever love Jesus more than anything else, what would their answer be? Yes, no, or I don't know. I don't know. Because money seems like a big deal in our home. Because stuff seems like a big deal in our home. Because sports seems like a big deal in our home. Because accomplishment and success seems like a big deal in our home. Because this seems like a big deal in our home. What would they say? See, we can't take our kids somewhere we haven't ourselves been. And these gods, these gods, they can kill you. They can kill you. And so, the first answer right out of the gate when it comes to parenting in the digital age is who are you? Forget your kid for a minute. Who are you? And what are you screaming by your own actions? And do your kids see this as a God in your life? What changes do you need to make? And it's simple things. You know, I'll be in the car and I, I drive a lot, you know, and I'm just using this as an example. I drive a lot because kids drive back and forth and craziness and all around. You know, just, we just drive a lot here in Arizona, right? We, just, we live, you know, spread out and spaced out, and, you know, you're driving downtown a lot to work and everything else. One of the habits I try to get into is I, I just say, hey, you know, if I get something on my phone, hey, read this to me. Respond back to them. Let them do it. Again, if they see you, if they see you frenetically attached to this thing, they'll say, hey, it's okay. This is what, this is his God. This is what he loves. This is what he has to be attached to. Otherwise, he's not truly an adult. He's not truly mature. He's not getting anything done, whatever the case may be. But do, the, do your kids see and believe that Jesus Christ is number one in your life? Do they believe that you love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might? Or they go, yeah, I don't know. He takes us to church. Yeah, we pray before dinner, but, uh, you know, if I'm honest... And I'm not saying you got to be perfect, but they will discern, your kids will discern what God you serve. Secondly, we lead by engagement. Listen to what it says. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now that's important. I, I, and I highlighted some, well, you can't really sit in there, but there's some words there that are highlighted. When you sit in your house 
when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the idea of teaching, it's formal, it's intentional. That's one of the reasons that you bring them here to Compass so they can get an opportunity. And I'm telling you, especially for those of you that, that have teenagers, man, I'm telling you, I would stand our student ministry up to anything happening anywhere around the valley in terms of helping kids understand real issues in life. You know, my, my 12-year-old got in the car the other night, and I go, I said, I picked her up from our, from our Tuesday night. I said, so what did you guys talk about? She goes, sex. I'm like, oh. But then I'm, I'm happy, right, because they're talking about it, right? But I'm like, why did you have to say, why can't you just say, you know, stuff or whatever? You have to say sex. It just kind of creeps me out, you know. Anyway, but, but the other thing, though, is informal. Now look at these words. You don't just teach, but you talk, right? You talk. It says you, um, you talk of them. That's like conversation. And when do you talk? Well, it tells you when you're supposed to talk about them. It says when you sit in your house, when you're hanging out at home, when you're watching TV, you just make conversation. It's not that hard. One of the best things, oh, it also says when you walk by the way. So when you're going places, when you're in the car, when you're out doing stuff, you just talk about it. One of the best things that I've learned how to do is ask questions. I love asking my kids questions. And, you know, I got two daughters, and the number one question I ask my daughters a lot is, hey, so tell me about your friends. How are your friends doing? Because their whole life is their friends. So I'm, tell me about the drama. What's the drama going on? And then just, just buckle yourself in, man. Whew, right? Just put like toothpicks on your eyes and try to focus and try to keep up. And then this person said, this person said, who, tell me, just tell me about your, who likes who? You know, tell, just give me all that like nitty gritty stuff. And then as they're talking, what's going to come out? Values, actions, stuff. And this is going to come out and you go, and, and you just follow. So, so when Jenny said that, what, what do you think about that? How did that make that other person feel? Well, you know, it wasn't very good because blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's true. And, and how do you think she, maybe she could handle that differently? Yeah, if she would have just, blah, blah, if you just listened to this and this. And then all of a sudden, they start pumping out truth or at least logic in some way. And then you just kind of converse. You just kind of hop on that train with them and just kind of ride it out a little bit and just let them, just let them talk. You don't need to sit there and go, now today what we're going to learn about is um, infralapsarianism, you know, some sophisticated theological concept. They're not going to get that. Just talk to them about their life. Just ask them. Just show them that you're interested. And even if you're not interested at all. Because sometimes you're like, this is lame. Like, why are you spending any time thinking about it? But for them, it's huge. It's just like humor them. And then as you listen, then you develop reference points. And they come back to you and go, remember what I told you about blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, I do, actually. Well, then this happened. And that's just really cool. So, so like my, my, my youngest daughter, she goes to gymnastics. She goes four days a week, four hours a day. So it's ridiculous right now. But she's getting pretty good. And she spends half of her life upside down. You know, I mean, she's always, like I ask her, I go, do you dream upside down? Like in your dreams, there's everything upside down. Because she's always flipping and everything, cartwheeling and doing, look what I can do. But I'll, I'll talk to her about that. I'll go, because for her, gymnastics is this massive thing. And it concerns me. Because... We, we want to, you know, we want to, like, invest in that, and we know she loves it and everything else, but what concerns us along the way is, is do you love Jesus more than gymnastics? And so, so part of that conversation along the way is, hey, honey, 
I'm so glad that you're doing gymnastics, but we want to make sure you always love Jesus more than gymnastics because don't forget who gave you the arms and your legs that can do all this stuff and who gave you this ability to be able to handle these things and a mom and a dad that, that take you there and everything else. And so I want her to see that gymnastics doesn't become a capital G and God becomes a small g, that, that, that God is always the thing that's number one in her life. But these are things that you do along the way with them. Okay, And it's as, of course, you're trying to monitor all this kind of stuff. And as you're listening, as you're listening to everything, you're also listening to the threats. So Triple X Church, I mentioned before, they've got great resources. I'm going to put another thing up on the screen so you can see. But they've, um, you can go to their site. They've got stuff on pornography, sexting, online gaming, um, online predators, which often, by the way, when their kids are doing online gaming, that'll be one of the main ways that online predators will attack is through online gaming while they're playing. So you think your kid's just playing a game online? It's the craziest thing. I'll walk in and my son will be playing some video game and I'm like, hey, you know, come over here and let's eat or whatever. He goes, I can't because I'm playing with three other people right now in, you know, Indonesia or whoever else. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're, playing, there's only, you're the only one in the room. But no, dad, there's three other people playing out there in the cyber world somewhere. And it's in those environments that can be the most um, vulnerable. They can be the most vulnerable because these people can come in and write stuff and everything else. But so you got to be aware of these kinds of things. And part of that is just being, having the guts and involvement to just ask straight up, what's going on in there? What are you talking about? What are you doing? And again, like that circle thing that we showed you before, that's pretty huge because you can actually see what sites, I don't think you can read their text messages, and I think there's a sense of privacy you want to give them to some degree, but, but, there's a, but you can go and see how long they've been on different internet sites. All this stuff is really important, guys, because if you think it's not a big deal or your kid's not doing it, then I guess everybody else is messed up and your kid's perfect. I think that's a little bit um, naive. And so the other thing is, look at it as it continues on. It talks about binding them as a sign in your hand and being a frontlet between your eyes. So when it talks about the scripture says a frontlet between your eyes, they would literally make like a little box. They'd hook up to your head and they'd put the, the scripture in there, like write it out in there, and it'd be in your, between your eyes. So when you're walking around, you always see the scripture before you see anything else. That's huge. But what are we talking about? Frontlets between the eyes and writing on the doorpost. It's visuals. Visuals. So don't just sit there and talk, but is, are there visuals? And these are things that we can continue to reinforce in our kids' lives. For example, like I love ebooks, and I, like I download all kinds of stuff on Kindle and everything else. But a lot of times I like to get the actual paper book so I can put it on my shelf. So when you come to our home, there's, kind of, there's books kind of all over the house in different rooms and everywhere else because I want our kids to be able to see that, they, that we're people that are readers and that, we're, that we, we, we have books in our home that are important to have subjects that deal with things that we think are very important. But they're like visual writings all over the home that aren't just you know, locked away in my one little device, but are all over the place. Another thing that, that hit me that was um, kind of out of a strange source is I'm taking a class right now um, in the Air Force, and um, it's like an online kind of distance learning class, and the guy was talking about how, um, he's talking about writing and the importance and how, you know, how to write better, and it's kind of an in interesting thing. But he was saying, He's saying that in the digital age, one of the things that means more than ever is actually handwriting stuff. To get a handwritten note from somebody means more than ever because everything's always done on email and text. And then he's kind of paused and said, you know, those of you with children, one of the most important things you can do is handwrite letters to them. Even if they're really small, they can't really interpret them yet. But as they get older, they can read the letters that you've written to them. He says, you can imagine these might be the most prized possessions they'd ever have in their life because they'd have handwritten notes to them from their mothers and fathers. And I thought, man, that's brilliant. Brilliant. 
That's a brilliant thing to be able to do, to actually take the time to put pen to paper and to write things. You think that would mean so much more than some, than some um, transient post that they would read that's here today and gone tomorrow. So in the digital age, there are ways to bring meaning and gravity to the lives of our kids by actually writing something like that, 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 that has your own style, your own font, basically, your own way of writing that they can have forever and that can be treasured by them. And it's a classy thing to do, and it teaches them this kind of stuff. Finally, let me just wrap up a couple of thoughts. What about single parents? I want to talk to single parents today, too. Because a lot of times you think, well, how can I be an effective parent if I'm a single parent? What's interesting about this, because everybody knows that the optimum scenario, obviously, is for a child to have a mother and a father. This is, by the way, why I'm opposed to same-sex marriage. Because same-sex marriage actually legally makes it impossible for a child who's adopted into a same-sex marriage to have both a mother and a father. And it effectively tells the child that it's really not important for you to be raised, um, that a mother is not important or a father is not important. You can pick and choose either one. To me, I think that's ludicrous. It totally violates nature. But we ran headlong into this to appease a minority of people. When it stops being cool, I think we will wake up and realize that we paid a terrible price for this and we asked children to pay a terrible price for this. But that aside, we know that having a mother and a father in the home is the optimum solution. When you do not have that, though, you may be tempted to say, I've got to fill both roles. And then in a sense, you kind of do, but at the same time, God never commands you to do that. God never commands you to pay for the sins or the absence or whatever of, of the other person. All you can do is what you can do. What does God ask you to do? To lead by example and lead by engagement. If you're a mom, you can't be a dad. You might have to do some dad stuff that, that, that there was a dad that dads should do, but you can't be a dad. You're not asked to be a dad. Just be the best mom that you can and lead by example and lead by engagement. That's all you can do. And you should be encouraged by it. You can't erase the past. You can't go back and fix a broken marriage that, that already ended. You can't, you can't do those kinds of things. But what you can do is say, God, are you, are, is your spirit radiating in me? Are you, am, I, am I loving you with all my heart and my soul? And am I asking the right questions? Am I having the right conversations along the way, in the car? Am I engaging my kids? What more can you really do? So some of us need to just realize, you, you know, this is a place of grace. I told you before, the internet, there's no grace on the internet. There's a ton of grace when it comes to Jesus. And there's a ton of things that he can restore. Finally, I want to talk to those who grieve on a day like today and in a message like this because you have children who have walked away from you, they've walked away from God, and they are living a life that, quite frankly, breaks your heart. And maybe that's just really got you, and you're beating yourself up over it, and you don't know what to do, and you're, it's got you all emotional. And I want to tell you today that if that's, if that's you, and we talked about this with our staff earlier in the week as we were putting kind of, these guys are helping me put the message together and think through some stuff. That if you're grieving today over a wayward child, you're in good company. Because God himself is grieving over millions of his wayward children. Millions whom he created and loved and died for. Who won't acknowledge his even existence. Who won't even acknowledge his name. By their actions, by their beliefs, by their words, won't say anything to him. Just want to spend their life ignoring him and walking away. You know, Jesus says this amazing thing. We talk about God 
in the he, and I think we should. There's a lot of reasons why we should refer to God as a pronoun as a him. But God has both masculine and feminine characteristics. And it comes out at one point, even when Jesus is talking, and he, he laments over the city of Jerusalem and their rebellion. And he says this, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. And it's like that, I just, I, that maternal instinct, I, just, I would just love to just grab a hold of you, and you won't let me. There's a story of the prodigal son where the kid runs away and goes out and totally, um, basically defames his father by how he lives, and finally he comes to his senses and comes back, and when the father realizes that the son has come back, what does the father do? He throws a big party. Why does he throw a party? Because my son that was lost has come home. And so you have both mother and father kind of pictures going on in the heart of God, but God's heart still grieves, and he grieves with you. You say, what do I do? Well, you do exactly what the definition says. You lead by example, and you lead by engagement through all the days of their life, you know? And you pray. You say, well, I mean, that's great. I, can, I pray. But remember, as I said before, you can't, you can't raise the dead. You're never asked to raise the dead. All of us are born spiritually dead. That's only a work of God. And so we plead the case. Only God can raise the dead. So we plead the case of our children. And we plead the case of our children. And I've told you this before, if you've been around for a while, but I really think it's true. But for some of us, it may take even our own death to get our kids to realize that their time is short as well. As long as mom and dad are still alive, there's still someone that can kind of be there for me. But when they're gone, it's just me. I'm the next one in line. That may be, that may be the trigger. So you may not even see it in your lifetime. But the point is never, ever give up. Finally, I'll say this. Some of you today need to know the grace of God. And you've been running yourself, and God's been pursuing you. God's been pursuing you. And he loves you. It's time for you to return. Some of us, the best gift you could ever give your mom on Mother's Day is not some flower or taking her out to lunch or whatever else. It's saying, Mom, you know what? You showed me who Jesus was, and I found him. Or, Mom, you know what? I, I, I'm turning around. I'm changing my life around. I'm no longer going to live in a way that just, quite frankly, breaks your heart. Some of you need to come to that place in your own life today where you say, I'm done running. I'm done. Because when you stand before God, I'm going to tell you, you can't blame your mom. You can't blame your dad. You will stand before God as you are, and you will either be a recipient of his grace, or you'll say, I spent my life running away from my one true father. So I want to challenge you to do that today. But you know, take heart, all of us. There is a way to get through this digital age. There is a way to be able to, to navigate through. We can have some of the best times and raise the best kids that have ever come on the planet. This is not anything new and, and from a standpoint of the same old kind of, of solutions are there. It's just new terrain. We can get through it. But we've got to be people who lead by example and lead by engagement. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the fact that we have been given this task at this time to raise kids who will come to know you who will love you, but we've got to be ones that love you first. You know, we've got to be smart. We've got to be people who are, who are not just assuming that our kids are getting it, but we've got to be living by example and by engagement. God, thank you for each person here, and I pray that you would help us on the journey. I pray if there's anyone today who maybe is in that spot where they need to turn around themselves because they need to know you, 
that right where they are, they just say, God, you know what? I know. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm messed up. I know I've run from you. I need to turn to Jesus. I need to let him take my sin. I need to let him be the one that is my forgiver. There's no grace on the internet. There's a ton of grace in the kingdom of God. I pray that more people would find that. That anyone here today would capture that in their own heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.